0: Great moments are born from great opportunity.
1: Last name ever, first name greatest, like a sprained ankle boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again.
0: But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it.
1: To talk about over the last weekend and Luke, I feel like we talk about almost every week. And this is the tough part when it comes to doing the shows Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Is we had a big, big, big Giants loss on Thursday night. Just just a tough one more than anything else that they probably could have won. But then over the weekend, there's the news that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley might have been seen at a bar without masks. Then there's the story, uh, the story that it's refuted, that it was from last year. But then they were still at a dinner with with some other players like Sterling Shepherd and all this nonsense that we'll have to dive into early on. Then the New York Jets lose another game, a real close one that we'll touch on later on against the Buffalo Bills, which to me says a lot more about the Buffalo Bills than it does about the Jets. In, in a win that was underwhelming to say the least, I would argue, after an 18-10 victory. And then, of course, the World Series game five. We'll touch on that towards the end of the show. And Oddman Rush at 1235 as always and luke you've got the odd man rush today and you're telling me that there might be too many stories for it too good of any e- of an omr perhaps i mean obviously i get the monday omr this week so not not the
0: toughest in the game but there are a lot of good stories coming out of the nfl also i mean not just good stories some bad stories as well some covid related stories some baseball as well so a lot to get to and i, I quickly gotta say before we start the show i am I am frustrated to death by the new retweet method on Twitter. Like, I went to go retweet our show's uh, tweet from today. I follow at Watling and Owens on Twitter. And when you hit retweet now, it immediately goes to quote tweet, and then you have to hit retweet again, which I think is just – I don't understand what the, the purpose was of changing that because quote tweeting was easy to be to, to do to begin with, as was retweeting. And now you combine the two, and it's just – it's way too many steps now.
1: it It's really frustrating. I, I don't know – who I need to yell at about this? I don't think I'm gonna to spend too much time on it because at the end of the day, it's I don't tweet as much as you do. Although I've been tweeting a little bit more recently. You gotta tweet more. All your tweets seem to do pretty well, but it's very rare. But maybe, maybe I've had a couple in the last stretch where I just completely pop off. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous the amount of retweets and, and the, the 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 interactions, if you will, that I get. I mean, I've got the uh, the website one that was a 26 liker. I mean, that's just beautiful. Any, um, honestly,
0: self-promotion, I've found, is, like, a very
1: nice way to get some likes. It really is. Uh, the, the news page design for the Aspigonian got me six likes. That's okay. Oh, Sopranos content does very well, too, I'm noticing. Honestly, anything that gets more than, like, three, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Oh, well, I, I, have, I, have, like, I had, like, the same... I had a 30 liker really, uh four days ago. My first really? game with NYO. That was yeah, a good and... time, man. That was, that was fun. I was sitting there, a little freshman, with the, the buzz cut clean-shaven, oh, a gorgeous black-on-black, black, black suit, black shirt, and a, a golden black tie. Oh, beautiful. I have to
0: shout out the pe- the Oswego people that are in media because they're like the cycle of people that like all my tweets. So, like, I got I to give a shout-out to, to all the guys that uh, that, like, and girls, of course, too. That like all my tweets because I, I have a very uh, loyal loyal uh, fan base, fan base That's right. that gets me like four likes per tweet, and I'll take that. That, that brings a smile to
1: my face. Also, I have over 500 followers this weekend. Did
0: wow. not realize it's I'm at, like 502,
1: 503 now. That's Let's big. See. I mean, five a weekend, so you. I think I might have lost a follower. Oh, wow. Someone I might someone... have lost one, but we're still there because you can who's number 500. The followers come I... there to see content if they see you're not, but tweeting I can't out. if I tweet everything I think. No one's going to care. That's basically like, I've got to I perfectly did. craft my my tweets. Because yeah, I when like, I don't, they're really bad. I mean, I have tweets that was like, nice catch this time, Evan Engram, or something like that. Or like, nice hands this time, and much. no one liked it. I mean, I thought that was pretty clever.
0: Oh, I thought I did like moment. It. That's, that's on me. Uh, but yeah, I had like three tweets in a row about Seahawks Cardinals last night, and they all got at least
1: three likes. So, I mean, that, that's a win at the end of the day. That is. So, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in now with the Giants. Enough of this. Twitter nonsense that the people really don't come here to to hear about. But we'll we'll start with the, the the debacle, the the maskless video in which Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley were shown to be maskless. They weren't practicing social distancing, and it, I believe it was um what was the guy's name? It was DJ Lugnut? Yeah, my Lug favorite road.
0: DJ. DJ it's Lugnut, no DJ that's right. Mike,
1: but no, of toucans fame but when you look at this this video i mean a lot of people are saying that's not from this year the the dj himself was saying that it was from last year but also there was a video or picture of the the rookies on the team this year on the actual in in the video or in another picture along along with those tweets and you know you're not going out with college players that obviously didn't play in new york so i wonder what that's the scenario in that realm yeah i'm gonna have to take a look i haven't seen that
0: specific video yeah i've seen the pictures i've read the article and things like that i mean the thing is first of all like i don't we're gonna have to wait to see if this is validated because i don't want to go on some like anti you know daniel jones saquon barkley rant if we if we can't confirm it but i mean from a from an outside perspective i mean when i look at this yeah it's probably a bad optic for them to be out Uh, at a bar but you know if it's private if you know the DJ if you know the people there have all tested negative I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world Um, you know maybe the optic of it I mean given the season you know why are you doing that I mean Saquon Barkley's out with an injury you're coming off a really tough loss to the Eagles not that that doesn't mean you can't do other things besides football because obviously football can't be everything but I think maybe the the optic of this could be a potential problem for the Giants because I mean we saw, you know, teams from the MLB go out uh, different circumstances They're out in public. They're out at, you know, actual, you know, nightclubs with a lot of people. But I think if, you know, we're treating them like that, then maybe, you know, this deserves a second look as
1: well. I just think that the I mean, first of all, you should, I, it's hard because I was going to say, you know, like after a loss, it's a couple of days go by. You should be able to go out to dinner. But can you even do that as a football player now? And by no means is it the same standard that we're living at Us, be you know me and me and you because we're not responsible for 55 other people or a hun- really hundreds of other people if you go out to the not only just the players but the coaching staffs their families and then the players on the other side of the field and i don't want to say that it's a bad thing because i don't know if it's true or not you know i i thought it was true but all these things kind of make sense But also, I don't think you're, you're not tweeting a video or a picture that says rocking it with with Danny Dimes and Saquon, if it wasn't from today, you would have said a year ago I was rocking with unless you're just posing and saying, look at me, I'm right now with Danny Dimes, although it's from last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, look in that
1: realm, I I don't know, because you could say the same thing where if it was from a memory a year ago, prove it to me. You know, show me the the timestamp, which you can do on an iPhone, like, Deleting it seems very fishy. He could have commented underneath and said hey look like this is from last year Like here's the proof and then be done with it. I think he was just trying DJ His name's Lughead not Lugnut Um, (laughs) Lughead was was trying to pose a little bit. He was trying to get clout and I I respect that. I certainly would do the same thing (laughs)
0: But (laughs) Friend of the show DJ DJ Lughead No, he's not a friend of
1: the (laughs) show. If he was a real friend, he'd come on Discuss. We should get him on. We should
0: reach out to DJ Lughead and, and see I? if he
1: if Let's he cares to, to explain himself. To but explain himself?
0: I think, yeah, I think it could be a clout grab. One of the weirdest things from, there's actually a, uh, a New York Post article that came out uh, about this situation. I don't mean to, you know, we don't mean to laugh and say that's not serious. Because if it did happen, it's definitely a serious situation. But the fact that there's a guy named DJ Lughead, uh, or Lugnut, whatever his name is, in the middle Lughead. of this. Lughead. Uh who, by the way, I don't know if you saw that picture with him Saquon and Daniel Jones. He looks like a lughead. Uh but oh, that,
1: that's but, an uh, shot. That's unnecessary. That's but, an, that's an one the,
0: shot. One of the weirdest parts of this uh New York Post story is uh there's there's a uh, a quote in here from uh the New York Post. Paul Schwartz and Greg Joyce co-wrote the story saying that Saquon Barkley was seen uh, riding a bike in the street, which there's no way that Saquon Barkley can ride a bike right now, right? Like, he just tore his ACL. I don't I don't think the, the recovery time is that fast, but maybe, like, I picture him just, like, on a little trike, like, with his big legs, just, like, pedaling through New York City. Like, like a big it's such loop. a weird image of, like, why is he on a bike
1: in the streets? I mean, this is but, just a wild story. But couldn't you ride a bike with a, like, 'Cause I don't even know like how a torn ACL AC Well you don't know works. how to ride a bike, so that's a Well no, I don't know how to ride bike one. But can't you still move your knee can't you still walk on a broken on a torn ACL? Like it's yeah, not comfortable. True. Can't you rot like walk in But can you not bend really your knees change? enough to be able to pedal is the question. Well, there's only one way to find out, Luke. Yeah. We gotta tear your ACL. <laughs> it's the only way we have Give to a little do snip this. snip.
0: Can that count as my bet from last year? I just tear my
1: ACL. If you tear ACL, is. we can undo your bet from last year. That's right.
0: All right. I just gotta look up easy ways to tear your ACL and we'll be we'll be back in business. Perfect. But I mean, obviously until we know the facts, we can't really I can't really comment too much on it. But if it is true, I think it is definitely a, a bad optic. I don't know. You know, like I said, it's a private bar. If you know everyone there, it's testing negative. But you know, in these times you gotta be extra careful. But do you even trust DJ Lughead?
1: Like that's no. a serious question for me. Is who is this, this DJ that's, that's clout chasing. And also one thing to notice he posted on his, uh, Instagram story, a picture and it cont- or a video and it contained two rookies from this year. And I'll pull up the exact names Wait, as remember? it was, uh, incarcerated. Bob tweet- tweeted out a screen grab of DJ jug G- uh, DJ Lughead's uh, Instagram. And it was a picture of Austin Mack and Ben Victor, allegedly. And again, I don't know how credible it is. That's just what someone commented on those two guys. And if that's the case you're not taking pictures and putting them on your Instagram story in the street or a video in the street. Like, that's not going to happen. You're not going to say, hey, one year ago today, like, if anything, you'll have like the the time hop stamp around it. Like, that to me doesn't really make sense, this excuse. But at the same point, if it is a closed bar and it's only you and the people you trust, like, to me, I can't criticize that because I've gone out to dinner during COVID-19 and during the pandemic, you know, most recently this weekend. You know, Luke, you were at your your grandpa's wedding if i if you don't mind me bringing that up on air and it was just family you're wearing masks you're socially distant what's the difference between that going to a restaurant that's socially distant and going to a bar and and for the most part being socially distant you know you had the unidentified woman hand daniel jones a drink but that could be his, his girlfriend for all we know
0: yeah and i actually
1: you know i it's tough because yeah like you
0: said i was at a wedding this weekend there was distancing there was you, know, you had to wear masks if you weren't sitting down and they did a really good job of, of making sure the rules were followed but it's tough because yeah it's saying you know is the people around these lives less important than the lives of the giants which they're not so in that same vein I think it's it's you know it's comparable because I mean maybe I'm a hypocrite if I if I criticize them for doing that, but. I, I just did some research, Matt. Do you remember last year when uh, when Eli Manning and Daniel Jones were spotted? Uh, yes. Uh, after that, that win against Washington, the Flip Cup uh, game. I, yes. I went back to look. I wanted to see if uh, if if it was from that night maybe, but in that video, Daniel Jones wearing a, a button down. In this in this picture,
1: he's wearing a uh, a nice pullover oh, sweater. So, but not do we the think that he's there? Do we think that his wardrobe has changed over the last year? You know, he's with Eli Manning. He's a bit buttoned up. No pun intended. And you know they're both wearing polos. It's kind of like the father-son situation where you're kind of not matching, but you're wearing accented clothing because that's what your your father wants you to do. And now he's out with his buddy. He's out with his friend Saquon Barkley. He's just a year older, right? A year older. So he's going, you know, let me let me pull up the hoodie. You know, I don't want to wear this this cheesy cornball button-down. Let me go with the nice the nice hoodie. Yeah, he's QB one for the New York Giants now. You know, he
0: he understands the swag that comes with that. He can't be wearing any button-downs, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know. I'm interested to see kind of what they're they're able to find out about this. I mean, the Giants are investigating. I'm sure the NFL will investigate as well. Uh, could be a fine, obviously. We saw the Titans get hit with a $300,000 fine themselves, and the Raiders likely to get hit with a fine too. So the NFL kind of starting to actually hand out some punishments. But at the end of the day, I mean, 300 dollars for the Titans, I think, is a win for them. I mean, they don't lose draft picks or anything like that after – Clearly, participating in some dangerous activity, practicing at a
1: an off-campus site, and things of that nature. That should have been where you get the penalty because you knew you couldn't be practicing and you went out and did it anyway. But we'll move on to the actual game, which was punishment enough for the Giants and Giants fans. Just a brutal loss to say the least. It's twenty-two twenty-one. You know your your offense didn't look great, but you had a t- you had an eleven-point lead with just over six minutes left in the game, and you, you lose that game, and it, it's very tough to come back from because of how close the division is and also just how mediocre the the Eagles played. I mean, neither team deserved to win the game, but when you have a leave of six minutes left, you've got to find a way to pull it out.
0: Yeah. Especially looking at, you know, what transpires this weekend too, with Washington beating Dallas, they've got a Washington has a really favorable schedule these next four weeks uh, where, you know, they're going to have the tough teams on the stretch, but, I mean this was a winnable game for the giants i think it's a game they should have won and obviously the the big thing you point to is that drop from evan ingram where that would have sealed the game most likely i mean they would have been on the plus side of the field they would have been able to run the ball out uh they ran the ball pretty well i thought wayne gallman looked really good uh freeman obviously left the game with that ankle injury but that's a good throw from daniel jones i mean you can't throw a better ball than that and i know he took the blame and obviously you'd like to see that out of your quarterback saying you know he's not going to throw evan ingram under the bus but I mean, it just seems like Evan Ingram, I mean, you get some good with him, but you get a lot of bad. He dropped that pass uh, that was intercepted earlier on in the game. And then he drops that catch that should have been the, the game sealer. So I don't pin 100% of it on Ingram because I think, uh, you know, it's, at the end of the day, they, they probably could have played a little bit of defense on the stretch as well. Uh, and maybe Daniel Jones could have uh, tried to not fumble, but I mean, kind of got hit from the blind side. But I mean, Evan Ingram needs to make
1: those plays. That's not a game. That's not a play that loses you the game, so to speak, because all the things you listed, Luke. But that's a play that costs you the win, if, if that makes sense. And yeah, you know, you catch that ball, you win the game. So say what you want about what happened. I mean, and the loss isn't all on Evan Ingram, but that play was a hundred percent Evan Ingram's fault. And I like the maturity that Daniel Jones possesses in the post game press conference, saying, "Look, like I should have thrown a better ball." But I, I wonder about the culture about about the Giants. And I, I hate bringing up culture because they're, they're, they're a one-win team. They're not very good. Like, how do you build culture if you're losing games? But you've got Ingram saying he's got to play better. You know, Daniel Jones says he needs to throw a, a better ball. And then you have Jarrell Peppers, who got, kind of got burned on the last play of the game. It was an over the shoulder catch, or not the last play, but the last scoring play, when Boston Scott had just a great catch, a better throw by Carson Wentz, too. Just, you could not defend that ball any better than Jabril Peppers did. Really solid coverage, and the ball just went over his head. And he goes, look, I didn't make the play. It hurts. I'm a man. I'll take it on the chin, learn from it, and make sure it never happens again. I mean, you have three guys taking the blame at different points, and, and that says something to me. And I know it's a loss, and it stings, and it hurts. And you sit here and wonder, you know, could the Giants make a run at the division? But do you even need to is the question. I mean, I kind of see it both ways because you weren't supposed to be good You could have been a 1-in-5 team and it would have made sense, but you've also played much better than a 1-in-5 team and you have nothing to show for it. I think that's the biggest... This is a team that has has, had... Four of their losses have came where they could have tied or won the game late. And you lose all four of them. I guess you end up beating the Washington football team as one of those kind of close scenarios, but... That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for your team trying to build a culture and, and really build yourself back up with a new head coach.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing I think that's tough because you like to see them playing these close games. But, I mean, if they could have grabbed a couple of these wins, they're sitting right there in first place in the NFC East right now. And not a team that we expected to contend, but it's like, you know, that Bears game I think they should have won. The Rams game, maybe now They would have to score a touchdown and convert a two-point conversion against that Rams defense that's been pretty solid this year. So maybe they don't win that one. The Dallas game you'd have liked to win, so there's you know two three games right there that you think they should have won, in addition to the Philly game. So I think those are big games uh, for the Giants that they lost. But again, like you said, I you know at the end of the day, the NFL is about wins and losses. The Giants have a lot more losses than they have wins recently, but you have to like the level of compete you see from them. You know they're gonna go out there, they're gonna compete in every game, uh, and we'll, but we'll see you know how long that lasts. I mean you had Tampa Bay coming up this week. Uh, after that, you get Washington and Philly back-to-back. So those are two games that you could win, you could be in, uh, before playing the Bengals, which is another winnable game. So, I mean, it's just when you look back at the season, I think for the Giants, you're going to say, you know, as much as it would have been, you know, a 7-9, and nine, maybe even 6-10 and 10 team getting into the playoffs, they did have their chances. And, and the inability to capitalize on those chances could definitely uh, maybe hurt the team down the stretch.
1: But do you think... Being in these games late is a good thing, or or is it bad that they can't close these games? Because like you said, Luke, they went half of these games that they had a chance in late. They're three and four. They're winning the division most likely, or they're at least right now they're they're up in it at the very least. I think you. I think it's tough
0: because the good thing about close games is it gives your team a chance to play in those games. You know, like if you're losing by thirty in the fourth quarter, what are you really learning? But for the Giants. They're doing a lot of learning. You know, you hear after the game guys saying, you know, we got to be better. We got to be better in these situations, in this play, in this play, we have to be better. But the question is, how long can they say that before it's like, OK, clearly this team just isn't able to close out and win these close games? Because I think it says something about a team. You know, look at what Pittsburgh did yesterday against the Titans. They got out to a big lead. They blew it. But they were able to make enough plays down the stretch to win that game. You know, we haven't really seen that from the Giants so far, their ability to close out. So again, it's important to see that. And also interesting, I know we have to go to break soon, but Jordan Renan just published an article 13 minutes ago talking about how he thinks the Giants should actually trade Evan Ingram. He's on his last year of his rookie deal. He hasn't really shown the potential we expected coming in. So I wonder if that's maybe a move the Giants
1: make before the trade deadline. I think it's a move you have to make because you're you're probably not resigning him. He's really been disappointing. And I don't know what it is. He had a good, I guess, rookie year, if that, but... He's a guy that you expected to be a spectacular, stellar tight end, and he just hasn't been that. Granted, n- really no tight end from that draft class has been spectacular. G- David Joku, uh, Joku in Cleveland really hasn't done a whole lot. He hasn't been a Rob Gronkowski type, and I guess you can't ask for that. But, you know, we've seen guys like like Kittle come up out of nowhere. You know, Kelsey's still been around forever. You, you expected the, that, that class, and I think O.J. Howard is the, the third of the three that's out there in Tampa that those three were supposed to make up that that next tight end draft class all being or class of top flight tight tight ends. And they just haven't really been that yet. So I definitely think the move should be made. It just doesn't really feel like a a great fit anymore, especially the way that he, he he is as a tight end more of a receiver than, than a tight end at that.
0: Yeah. And it's also kind of weird. They use him. Like they've ran a lot of run plays through him. Like it's kind of weird how he's been used in this offense. And maybe it's because they don't trust him or he's dropped he's tied first for drop passes by tight ends and he's actually tied with George Kittle and Mark Andrews who I think are you know two of the top three tight ends in the NFL so these drops happen but you know those guys don't seem to make the drops in the big moments like but they're they're also getting
1: volume I mean Kittle's the number one option out in 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 San Francisco and then Mark Andrews is getting targeted left and right from Lamar Jackson so I think that's the biggest difference is with volume you're going to see more drops but with Evan Ingram it's it's less about the targets it's more about just not being able to catch
0: yeah so I guess the question will be do the Giants view Ingram as a part of their long-term future and I'm not sure if they really do at this point because the way they utilize him now isn't really to the level of you know believing in him as the tight end you know Kittle type for the future going forward
1: you're listening to the Watling and
0: Owens podcast sponsored by WNYO 88.9 the Laker Radio Network
1: Back on the Walling and Owen show here on a Monday afternoon now as we reach the bottom of the hour. And look, the Buffalo Bills, they got it done. Boy, was it ugly. But they got it done. An 18-10 win, in which the Bills kicked six field goals after dropping to a 10-0 deficit. And it was just an ugly game, to, to say the least. It, it, the Jets looked like they had something going with that 10-0 lead. Uh Dall McLogan's was. Calling the plays, the offensive coordinator for the Jets. You know, Donald looked a lot better. But then again, this, a theme that we've seen a lot really in the Gase era, especially against the Bills, is the Jets could not make any kind of second half adjustments and they were just embarrassed in the second half. It was 23 total yards, four net yards with four sacks in that second half. And again, with the, with the Jets, you, you like the offense in the first half, but you've got to be able to adjust and make changes on the fly.
0: Yeah, it was really a weird game to watch because you had the Jets come out firing all cylinders in terms of their offense. I mean, the run game looked good. I thought P. Ryan looked solid. They were giving him touches. Frank Gore mixing him in the mix as well. And I was really impressed with the debut of Denzel Mims. He had four catches uh, for for over 42 yards. And all those came in the first half as well. So it was kind of like the tale of two halves in this game because the Bills offense came out. They stalled on early. Not that they didn't sell the whole game because they weren't able to, to find the end zone despite putting up well over 400 yards but i honestly the the biggest thing to me was yeah the jets failed to make adjustments i thought the first half they looked really good they let sam donald get out of the pocket they let him make these throws he made a couple really nice throws he had one throw to Perriman where he just arched it over the defense perfectly into his hands he looked really comfortable they were getting him outside the pocket as i mentioned so he's not getting hit as much and then it's like that entire game plan went out the win on the second half. They started off with a 12-yard run from Frank Gore. And after that, they didn't have another play over five yards for the remainder of the game. And I can't really blame Sam Darnold for that because they, he wasn't put in a position to succeed by the offense, by uh, Loggins, the offensive coordinator. And it just was messy in the second half. And that led to two Sam Darnold interceptions, one of which was his fault. It was thrown to, to the middle of nowhere. The second was tipped at the line on the potential game-winning uh, play. But... I mean, again, with this Jets team, it's like how much longer can this coaching staff hold back Sam Darnold and hold back the rest of the team? Because, I mean, Greg Williams is sitting over there saying, look, we kept the Bills out of the end zone. This is one of the best offenses in the NFL by numbers this year. And we didn't let them score a touchdown. And yet on the other side,
1: the offense just unable to do anything in that second half. The the Jets had two scores in that game. And when you score twice in a football game, you're not going to win the game. It doesn't matter if you're giving up only safeties. You're not going to win that football game. And it, it's, just, it's just so disappointing to look at because the Jets played a very good game defensively. And the first half was fine. Well, one thing that was, that was interesting is we talk about Denzel Mims. He didn't have a single cash in that second half. One note that, you know, a, a, a Twitter egg kind of pointed out, which actually made a lot of sense, is that uh, the Buffalo Bills switched White over to Mims, their cornerback, their which kind of shut him down a little bit more. Which, which makes sense, but also you could kind of figure out ways to attack him. I don't think Tradavis White is quite on the Darrell Revis track or what Revis was at the peak of his career where you can kind of make a place to try to target Mims, or at the very least, in, in that point, then you should have a guy in Braxton Barris getting more targets or Brashad Perriman should get more targets. Or, or at the very least, Michael per- Pirine should be getting more targets. I mean, in the second half, he didn't get a single target He's a great option to use if you're Sam Darnold, and I I don't think that that's on Sam Darnold as much as it's as it's on the coaching staff. But yeah. you wonder, you know, we we obviously never played football, and we uh, speak been in, for yourself. Speak for yourself. When did you play football?
0: Uh, from seventh through ninth grade. So I was I was okay. Quite and, and,
1: well, first off, you're running the ball ninety nine percent of the time. So yeah, and our and, and, running back in, was in
0: a, our running back was a D one uh, prospect. So yeah, we really yeah, just ran the ball like a hundred times. Uh, he actually didn't pass the SATs, so he is uh, – let's just say he's not in a, uh, a college right now. I'll say that. He's he's in a different institution. He didn't pass the SATs? He didn't get a high enough score. He had offers from Syracuse, Mississippi State, a couple other schools, and just couldn't, couldn't get the SATs What What, what kind of
1: SAT do you need to get into Syracuse as a football player? I feel like they're, yeah, they're can't be that basically high. begging anyone to play football for them. Yeah, I you play football for them, to be honest. Yeah, really interesting, too. His cousin is the uh, starting running
0: back in Indiana now, so at least one of them made it out, but yeah. But, uh, no, you're right. My football experience does not uh, exactly count uh, in that measure.
1: And and when I bring that up, I I ask the question is, is it more on Sam Donald and and not throwing it to Mims and not throwing it to Pirine, or is it Adam Gase in the offense? And I guess it's, uh, what's the coordinator's name? McDougans? Dow Logans? Or is it on Logans for not putting p ryan as the the target option on, on these plays
0: and i see what adam Gates said after the game and i think that's kind of an interesting quote he said uh at the beginning of the game he's getting the ball out seeing things well in the second half it seemed like we didn't have a lot of plays like if you're adam gaze are you really standing over there seeing what's happening and just laying out logan's to dry like being like yeah he's got it like i'm not going to even touch the offense like he can't go out and see these things and be like Oh, the Bills are blitzing on literally every single play. Sam Darling has no chance to throw. Let's change. Let's do a slant. Let's do a screen. Let's make sure he gets the ball out fast. But no, he's just standing there watching this happen. Like, I don't like that quote from Adam Gase, kind of just saying, Oh, yeah, we, you know, we just ran out of plays in the second half. Like, that's what I heard that mean? from Adam Gase. I, yeah. Like, like this is you your playbook, playing dude. Play for one half? I don't
1: understand. Like, this is, this is Adam Gase's playbook. They didn't change playbooks overnight. This is the same thing he had last year. Why are you – this is ridiculous. The, the biggest issue, again, is that you had four sacks in that second half. You have no time for Sam Donald to throw the ball. But in that same vein, fix it then. Like, make something happen. Throw a screen pass.
0: One thing I, I also noticed throughout the game was with the, with the Jets, we got a lot of good from some guys and then, you know, the opposite. We saw with Donald, you know, you had some really great plays early on then you had some bad interceptions. Makai Becton looked really strong in, in the blocking game also committed two big penalties. Quinton Williams had a sack, also committed a roughing the passer. His fourth of the year. So it's kind of like there's just this small disconnect for these guys where, you know, I, I think Mekhi Becton is a star. I think Quinton Williams is actually developing into a star himself. He's looked really good. But I think there's just these little things that, you know, maybe it's coaching, maybe it's something else, that is ju- it's like just not clicking for the Jets. And And that, I think, was the biggest problem because they didn't adjust in the second half. I mean, that was the biggest difference between the Bills and the Jets. We've said it, you know, early on in the year, is the coaching staff. You know, Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, they game planned at halftime. They didn't say, oh, you know, we're down 10 points. It's over. They came out and game planned against the Jets offense. The Jets didn't adjust then to those adjustments. And that's what Sam Darnold was saying. He's like, we didn't adjust to those adjustments. And I think a lot of that falls on the coaching staff of the Jets once again.
1: That completely falls on the, on the coaching staff. The, the players can't make adjustments because they're not calling the plays. They're not. Yeah, it's not. Sam They, they can only do what they're asked to do. Yeah. I really wonder if it's of laziness. The, these penalties and, and things like that. I wonder if they're sitting there, we're an 0-17 team. Why should I care or play that hard? Which for Mackay Becton to to think that way is a serious problem, and I think that falls down on leadership and it falls down on the the lack of a veteran presence. And that's why you don't trade a guy like Steve McClendon. And I don't think that that is laziness on Becton. I think it might have been sloppy. He might have been tired. You know, if you're getting blitzed every single play, you're going to get tired. This is first game back. You're not really weaving him in in and out of play. He's thrown right back into the fire. That would be part of the issue. As for Quentin Williams, maybe he just, you know, with running the passer, I mean, it's hard to make an assessment because they're so frequently called. And you sit there and say he could barely touch Josh Allen and get flagged for a 15-yard penalty and suspended. Or not suspended, but injected in all likelihood. So you kind of wonder what that's all about. I think that's kind of more what it's – Touching on is it's just the current NFL game is really hard to get sacks and and pressure the quarterback without taking penalties.
0: Well, yeah, but also the Quentin Williams was just him basically headbutting the face mask of Josh Allen, which is just kind of a weird penalty to take. He didn't even like bring him down; he kind of just like headbutted him, which was kind of a weird thing. But I mean, and, and looking at the other side, we haven't really talked about the Bills that much. I mean, it definitely was a concern. I mean. You can't find the end zone, but you can kick six field goals, I think, is, is a major problem for, for the Bills. I mean, they could have had eight field goals. That's was six of eight kicking, which is just ridiculous. Like, you shouldn't have your rookie six-round pick having to kick eight field goals per game. And, I mean, yeah, there are some bright spots. Like, the defense showed up, but it's against the Jets. We said going into this week, we said if the defense is good, we're not going to really say anything about it. If the defense is bad, that's when there's a problem. So we can't really assess the defense at this point because they look good against the Jets. And the offense, I mean, you have to score touchdowns if you want to win in the NFL. I mean, obviously, when you play the Jets, maybe not the case, but the inability to find the end zone,
1: I think, was was the biggest problem for the Bills yesterday. It's it's interesting because you look at Josh Allen. He had a really solid day. I mean, thirty of forty three, three hundred seven yards. You know, no interceptions is really big. You have a, you have a, a rating of ninety. Like that, that's a good game. But I, I really wonder what happens when you get into that red zone. Because I don't think the Bills punted at all the entire game. If not, they punted on their, their last possession. But I don't think they did that. I think they ended up getting the field goal to put them up by 8. And I I just question kind of what happened in the red zone. And It, it can't be that the Jets defense is that good that you go 0 for 8 in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. That, that can't happen. You can't be stymied by a Jets defense that – Literally let you walk down the field half the for the second half of the game.
0: Yeah, and one of the issues was uh, Allen fumbled once. He was pressured blindside, uh, got the ball just chopped right out of his hands, and, and that was one of the, the things. But, I mean, Josh Allen has never thrown an interception in the red zone. So that tells me you should trust him enough to make these throws, and it just seemed like every time they got in the red zone, they didn't trust him to make these throws. They didn't let him go deep, which is fine, because the Jets gave up a lot underneath, and that was, I think, the biggest development this week for Josh Allen was he hit those throws. He actually made five yard passes, which you expect any college-level quarterback to be able to make. But he made those throws. He took what the defense gave him. He didn't try to force it. That was great. But once in a while, you have to make a big play. And I don't know if that's on Brian Dable for not making the calls or if that's on Josh Allen for not wanting to make those mistakes. But at some point, you have to at least try to, to find the end zone. We didn't really see that. And one of those was Tyler Croft had a Daniel Jones moment where he caught the ball, had 30 yards of grass in front of him. He stumbled and fell to 20. I mean, that obviously could have been a touchdown, but it just seems like they're they were unwilling to let Josh Allen make those plays. And maybe that falls on Josh Allen himself because I thought a few times he tucked it and ran instead of make trying to make a throw. And maybe that's the reason why. But at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, you, you have to score touchdowns, and the Bills didn't
1: score touchdowns. And I, it just doesn't make sense to me the the not being able to score touchdowns. And I don't know why you're not attacking the Jets defense. Is the it's the Jets. You can't play to like this is a game this is a, p- a perfect example of a trap game and i said it on air last fr- thursday where if the bills weren't on a two-game losing streak i would have picked the jets in this game and i probably should have picked them anyway because they ended up covering by a wide margin i might add i think it was like it was like 14 and a half by the start of the game but you shouldn't be playing so passive against this jets team because you can make mistakes against them you know if josh down throws an interception in this game that's not a big deal because he should have touchdowns in this game too
0: Yeah, exactly. An interception is not really going to hurt you at the end of the day. And I mean, but look, where the bills are right now, they're in a great spot. I mean, they're a game and a half up in Miami for the AFC East. They're two and a half up on new England. They're playing new England this weekend. But I mean, the, the question is what's the ceiling for this team. And right now I still think they're a 10 and 16 that maybe wins week one, but I mean, they're line week one of the playoffs. But right now they're lined up with the Ravens and I don't think they beat the Ravens as this team is currently playing. So, I mean, like, The Bills could go 10-6. and They could win the division. They probably will win the division. But, you know, is losing in the first round another disappointment? I think it is. I think you expect more out of this team. I think you expect them to win a game or two in the playoffs. And, I mean, the way the defense has played, the way the offense played last week, I don't know if this is a team that can be successful in the playoffs as of right now. I mean, they've got a lot of chances to prove it. They've got a lot of tough matchups down the stretch to become that playoff caliber team. But as of right now, it just looks like the team from last year that beat all the bad teams you know, be a couple of good teams, but at the end of the day, weren't going to make any noise
1: in the playoffs. I would argue they almost look worse than last year, because at least last year, it was it was a surprise. You know, you had a legitimate defense. Right now, they don't have an elite side of either game. You know, you, you talk about Josh Allen and the offense. They were good the first four or five weeks, but four weeks, really, since then, they haven't looked good. And I don't know if that's the play the teams are playing or whatever it is, but... Right now, they're not a they're not a team that has a dominant side of either game, and that's a really big concern for a team that I still think will go ten and six. Because to be honest, their schedule it's not that hard to not go ten and six. You put yourself in a very strong position where you can afford four losses, and if you run through it, you know the Seahawks could be a loss, the Cardinals could be a loss, you know the Steelers could be a loss, and then one of the Patriot games. That right there, you're ten and six, and it's really not that difficult. So no, I, no. I think it's just so odd because they can be 10-6, and six, which is very good, but I feel like they're almost beyond that point. They're beyond the, let's make the playoffs. This is a Bills team that needs to start winning and needs to start showing it in the playoffs, and they just haven't yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, that's my biggest thing is, you know, how long are the Bills the... They can't be lovable losers forever, you know? If they want to be a winning team, they have to win the big games, and that's not just the playoffs. That's the regular season as well, and as bad as New England's played, I think this is a big game this weekend because New England has just absolutely dominated the uh, the Bills, you know, Cam Newton struggled. Bill Belichick still Bill Belichick. I think it's a big game. And then you look ahead next week to the Seahawks and then the Cardinals. I mean, these are games where you can prove yourself. So there's going to be chances. I just don't know how often the Bills are going to capitalize on those chances to really prove themselves.
1: And that, that's the biggest concern is can you figure it out? The defense looked good, but I don't think that says anything to me. No. It really doesn't. I mean, you, Sam Donald throws two interceptions, but the second one to me really isn't his fault. You just had a really good play by the Buffalo Bills. The defensive lineman jumps up, makes the stop. The first one probably shouldn't have been thrown, but at the end of the day, this is a game, again, that tells us a lot more about the Bills in the sense that they they beat an, un, an unwinnable team, a team that's probably going to go 0-16 by 8, and that scares me if I'm the Buffalo Bills.
0: Yeah, and obviously for...
1: I always say every division game is tough, but you definitely want
0: to win. And I mean, this could have been a game where they put up 42 points if they were able to find the end zone. They end up only scoring 18, so definitely some some level of concern there. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens Show, Odd Man Rush on a Monday. Dive right into it. You know, it's twelve forty-one. We we talked a lot about about uh, football throughout, and now we'll move a little bit beyond the local teams, but a little bit of a local flair with former Giants and now current Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. will be out for the season after tearing his ACL, uh, making a play on an interception return. As I mentioned, he'll miss the rest of the season, and I mean, it, it sucks to see because Odell. I mean, he put a lot of heart into that play. You know, maybe he shouldn't have been going so hard uh, for an interception. You know, trying to make that tackle, but. This is a tough loss for the Browns and for Odell Beckham Jr., you know, all the ups and downs of his career. And now he's set to miss this year, which has been the best year
1: of the Browns franchise. And who knows, you know, 25 plus years. All right, I feel awful for Odell. And th- there's really no way he, he would have won that scenario because if he didn't try for that interception, you know, some talking head was going to oh, come yeah. on the air and be like, oh, Odell Beckham Jr. should have made the play. He should have tried. Look at DK Metcalf running down and. and, and getting knocking down who was a Buda Baker, but like no, like <laughs> I knew I you'd hate that. that. I knew you hated the DK Metcalf. No, I uh, love it. I think it's a great uh. play. But now you're gonna have people say, "Oh, if Odell didn't try, people would be saying the same thing about Odell, or saying the opposite, where he should have tried to make the play." And look, he's not paid paid to to stop interceptions and stop pick sixes. That's not his job. But you just feel awful for him. And I I I, I don't want to say I hope he he moves on from Cleveland because maybe he wants to stay there, but I really hope he gets put in a a better situation because this is a hall of fame caliber wide receiver from his first three years of the, of his NFL career. And it just hasn't been there since. And it's so unfortunate because he's such a seminal talent, such a good talent. But then you sit here and, and see the things he says off the field and the, the, the not in the antics anymore, just him saying him taking off his cleats at, at the end of the game, two weeks ago in the loss. And, it's just so unfortunate, you know. I wish he'd be put in a in a better spot. I don't know what that position would be. You know, is maybe there, it's Green Bay. Is Green Bay a good spot for him? But is there a good spot for Odell?
0: I mean, it seems like he self, you know, harms more than anything. It seems like at, at this point,
1: not with this obviously, but I'm saying in terms of his personality, it's like where can he go that's really a good fit for him? I mean, I think the Giants would still be a fine spot with Joe Judge. I think they, I think you'd be fine there because. The fans can take it for the most part. You want that the younger fans, though? at least, is he a distraction? Such I don't a young so. team. I don't know if you want. Them. But is he? But is he a distraction? Like, what's what was his distracting qualities, or is that just a, a narrative that's been r- that ran him out of town? You know, what well, it his seems history?
0: like every. It just seems like every other week he's in the news for you know, like you said, taking off his cleats or. You know, is kicking the net or... But does that matter you know, to, the, the to the players? The trade rumors that seem to pop up every other week. like but I is that, that something
1: that matters to the players and the coaching staff or is that something that the media sits in and runs with because there's nothing else to talk about? Well, that's the
0: question. Is it, you know, does it leak into the locker room or not? And Obviously, we don't know that. So, you know, maybe it is just a, a narrative at this point. But I think there's, you know, there could be something to be said for kind of what
1: surrounds him. I mean, if, if I'm the Jets, I'm looking at Odell Beckham Jr. If I can get him for cheap... In terms of draft capital, oh yeah, I do it, you know, because say what you want about him. I mean, first off, Adam Gase has to be fired because if you put Odell with Adam Gase together, that's going to be a problem, infinitely worse than LeBell's situation. But if you if you want to give Sam Darnold one last shot or, or whatever, then you need Odell. You know, if you want Trevor Lawrence to succeed, if you end up drafting him, then you probably still want Odell Beckham Jr. as a top flight receiver.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that. And as for the the Browns Bengals game itself was pretty awesome. Five go ahead touchdowns in that fourth quarter. And Baker Mayfield struggled out the gate, but ends up going twenty two of twenty eight, two hundred ninety seven yards, five touchdowns. And Joe Burrow looks he looks legit. I mean, he has no offensive line. He's got really good weapons. Him and T. Higgins have found that connection. They look really good together. The defense is bad, but Joe Burrow looks legit. And are you are you buying the Browns, Matt? No. Guess flat? what
1: their point differential is? Just take a guess.
0: Uh, I'm gonna go like minus
1: 15, minus 21. So close enough. Yeah, that stays, that, that speaks help. volumes to me. The fact that you beat the Bengals by three, just three, is nonsense. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible push for for me. Speaking selfishly, I mean missed extra point. A missed I be extra point.
0: Missed I extra be point.
1: Fo- they missed the extra point. Yeah, the the last touch on this score, they should have been up four.
0: They missed the extra point.
1: See, like this is a pro- like I should be four and one this week. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take the win. I'm going to say personally that I'm four-one this week. You can mark it down as 3-1-1 in the record books, but I'm I'm saying I won four games this week. I don't care. And Matt I, I, two- I don't I mean it's nonsense. It's it's utterly ridiculous. That that should not be a game you win by 3 points. That should be a game that you win by a billion points. I mean the score of this game should have been the Dallas Cowboys Washington football team's score of a game. That's what it should have been. Another yeah, game I picked
0: wrong. That's one game we picked wrong was the the Cowboys and the Washington football team they lost 25 to 3. That's and it was, it was an ugly loss. Uh, Andy Dalton went down with a really tough injury. He got knocked out by John Bostic. It uh, looks like Bostic won't be suspended. But, I mean, Dalton wasn't having a great game. 7 of 19, 75 yards interception. Zeke didn't look great once again. Uh, the Cowboys quarterback right now is Ben DiNucci, who only played for two years at James Madison. Uh, he went two for three for 39 yards.
1: And, man, the Cowboys are just mess after mess after mess. Where do they find these quarterbacks? Like, like, why you you get you can't even get a guy that played three years at James Madison. <laughs> I mean, I could have played football for this team. I could have for I James go- Madison. What? What? Aren't they FCS? Yeah, they are FCS. They're a good FCS oh,
0: team. They're they a good play. FCS, team. They, they, I they play play FCS team. football, tough. but uh, for, I mean, that's just brutal. And now the Washington football team's in a spot to to
1: contend for the division. No, it, it, it's got to be the Eagles at this point. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. The win against the Giants sets it for you. You know, Andy Dalton, That that's a tough loss to have. He hasn't really looked all that great, but it, it's hard to analyze him for the most part because he hasn't really been given a chance to actually play football. You played a half when Dak goes down, wasn't really prepared for it. And then you play against Washington. You you have to think he does better, right? You, yeah, you have to think I... that Andy Dalton could do something. And then I really wonder what's going on with Zeke because that's a prime game. Against a, a, t- a tough defensive line, but it's the Washington football team. You can you can run over them. You you yes. can do that.
0: I mean, my biggest takeaway is the people that were saying that Andy Dalton is comparable to
1: Dak are just just idiots. Like it's it's not even close. And I hope he, Dak gets paid. You you have to think he could be good enough as a game manager. You know the, the system that the Cowboys want to play, but they the can't quarterback game, as a game manager. But their you defense think he's that is so bad? bad.
0: Their defense is so bad. They, they can't afford to have a quarterback as the game manager. That's the okay. biggest
1: problem, I
0: think, for, for the Cowboys. But uh, we'll move on to another mess of a team, the, the Atlanta Falcons, where Todd Gurley scores the touchdown uh, on accident. He tried to go down at the one-yard line. He accidentally crosses the goal line after kind of being tackled. Uh, that gives Matt Stafford the ball down six with a minute four and the Lions go down and win 23-22. to 22. The Falcons had a 98.7% chance to win that game, according to ESPN. That's their third loss this season after having a win probability of at least 98%. How is it that every single week
1: we are talking about the Atlanta Falcons blowing a lead? It has to fall down to coaching at this point. I mean, you saw with Penn State. They got rid of coach. <laughs> it, it's got to be the system. It's got to be the... the, the P- or it's a culture issue. And I hate bringing up culture issue this, culture issue that. I just think that the players are either A, in their own heads, or B, just not thinking. You know, maybe, maybe, honestly, maybe COVID hit this team mentally really hard. Maybe that's part of the issue, is that they can't <laughs> think straight because they're, they're scared of COVID. I, I don't know I what mean, else it would be. That's a great excuse, I guess. I it don't works. know what else it would be. You, yeah, I mean, they've lost games. Like, this one you can't lose. After losing that many times in heartbreaking fashion, someone's got to be better on this. And, you know, the coach should remind Todd Gurley, Hey, don't score a touchdown here. You know the the quarterback Matt Ryan should say, "Hey, Todd, they did. They said it in the
0: huddle. Here. They said it in the huddle. They said, hey, do not score a touchdown.'" They, Gurley really said they said that. He just
1: messed up. But then, but how do you mess this up? Then it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, I, I really, I really don't understand it. I don't.
0: Yeah, it, it's a circus show there right now, right. and uh, we'll move on. Couple more stories I want to get to. Let's talk about Tom Brady and the Buccaneers rolling over the the Raiders forty-five to twenty-two. And meanwhile. Bill Belichick and company blown out by Jimmy G. You know, didn't have a great game, but Jimmy G and the Niners uh, blow out. Cam Newton, 9 of 15, 98 yards, three interceptions. He gets benched for Jarrett Stidham. Remember the first two weeks when everyone's like, how did everyone pass on Cam Newton? Well, maybe this is why. Again, doesn't have a lot of weapons. Julian Edelman's been just non-existent this year. But, I mean, it's definitely a bad... I think it's a bad look for the Patriots with Tom Brady having all his
1: success. Well, they are just absolutely struggling right now. I, I really think COVID kind of hit... Cam Newton a, a little hard, maybe not to the extent that it that it's hit other guys in the league, but I think that it's been an issue. I mean, he missed a couple of weeks of play, jumped right back into it, and he's looked very average the last two weeks. But in that same vein, do you think Tom Brady would be having the success that he's having in in Tampa with Julian Edelman and no other weapons? Like no, like that that's not feasible. It's it's a mix of both where you want talent around you. But also Tom Brady, you kind of knew what you had in Brady and you knew the steady force he would be where he probably wouldn't have been throwing three interceptions in a football game. So it, yeah. it is interesting. But also it, it was time to end the era. Like this is the time now for the Patriots where they're going to struggle for a little bit. And that's what you just have to come to expect.
0: Yeah, that that's the biggest thing. And we'll move on to uh, as we wrap up a serious, obviously, COVID story with Jags running back Rykel Armstead, who has been hospitalized twice due to COVID-19 complications, he's been having some respiratory issues. He was originally slated to be the starting running back after Fournette left, but now he'll miss the rest of the season. Also, Wisconsin freshman quarterback Graham Mertz tested positive uh, for COVID after having a breakout game. But uh, for Ryquel Arms, that, that I mean, obviously that that's tough because we've talked about you know most of the guys have been able to recover, but we saw the LSU quarterback, he lost about 15 pounds uh, before the game. We, saw, we talked about Cam Newton maybe struggling because of it. I mean, You know, we say these
1: guys are obviously prime athletes and things like that, but it it has affected some of them clearly. I mean, this is the problem when we talk about uh, college sports here in Oswego. You see the cancellations of games due to, uh, or the season, I should say, for winter sports. And, you know, I'm upset about it, but also do you want to risk players that are young getting COVID and possibly affecting their lives for the rest of their lives? And you saw it here with Armstead. You might see it with Mertz as well it's scary you know there's nothing else to it is that it's a scary disease that i think has lost a lot of the flair or the, the the scariness of it with the cases at some point during the summer starting to go down you kind of lose the the impact or the importance of it and it does affect people and that's the scariest part about it is now that you have this young kid in armstead who has heart and lung issues for the rest of his life most likely i mean it's really scary
0: you're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO
1: 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back on the Watling and Owens show here, and Luke, you teased after or before the break about the, the Steve Cohen situation, where he might not be able to own the Mets. You've got New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio evaluating Cohen to seeing if he'd be allowed to... By the Mets, and, and I'm trying to read through the story here now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically the, the Mets do not own Citi Field. It's leased through the state, and the Citi Field lease states that a transfer of ownership is a permitted transaction only if the buyer is not a prohibited person. Prohibited person is anyone that directly or indirectly controls, is controlled by, or is under common control with a person that has been convi- excuse me, convicted of a crime in criminal proceedings. For a felony or any crime involving moral turn turn turpitude, turpitude. There we go. Um. Sure. Yeah, De Blasio. Um. Another way to just be enshrined in the least favorite public official in all of New York City history. Um. <laughs> not not my own leanings. Just the the idea that a lot of people do not like De Blasio. This certainly is another tipping their in their caps with a feather or feather in their caps. And the Blasio has been on record, Luke, saying that he wants A Rod and JLo to own the Mets, saying it'd be good for the Mets to be owned by people of color. It would be good, but also, and, and it is very good to have people of color in ownership and in high positions of power. It gives them oppor- other people of color and other minorities opportunities. But Personally, I don't like the the narrative that Steve Cohen shouldn't be able to own the Mets. You know, I think that he's had a shady past, and if you think that his morals aren't the strongest, then that's one thing. But this kind of feels like de Blasio is doing this to make sure that J, J, J-Lo and Irod own the Mets.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but, I mean, this could affect the Mets' offseason this year because, I mean, the ownership meeting is supposed to go on in November. You expect he's going to be pushed through, but if de Blasio is able to kind of change this, if he's able to say, uh, no, you, you can't have the Mets because of your past, because you've been convicted of felonies because you've been convicted of crimes in, in a, in a public court. Uh, I mean, even if he allows him after doing his, you know, background research, I don't know what that would you know convey, maybe seeing if he's still, you know, that same kind of guy, but I mean, this could mess up the Mets free agency this year as well. I mean, if you're not able to know who the owners are, if you're not able to know who's, you know, signing the contracts for these guys, it could also affect that. So there's a lot of layers to this scenario where, you know, obviously if the Blasio thinks that Cohen is still kind of, you know, shady or, you know, a felon and things like that, that's one thing. But it just, it kind of feels like it's just like him being like, oh, look, like I'm, I'm the guy that decides who can
1: own the Mets. Like it just seems like that. It feels like it feels more like he wants A-Rod and J-Lo than anything else, which he, which he said. And I wonder about his, conflict of interest and i want to just go back to the point i'd said where you know what i was talking about with using this as an excuse to not have a a white owner is the idea that there's been a lot of stories going on that steve cohen would be bad for baseball that it's unacceptable for another white man to own a team but you want diversity and i would hope that steve cohen brings diversity to the workplace with hiring you know people of color and minorities to power but to say we don't want this guy to own the Mets even though he can provide the best financial package that to me is kind of is a bit of an issue because you 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 want him to hire minorities and, and people of color and I think he would do that with whether it be Luis Rojas staying in charge or or people like that that you know have the opportunities and that have shown themselves and proven themselves in the organization but also you know it it's, it's a free market kind of thing it is part of the the concern that I have and, and you already have rigorous kind of ethics and moral codes that the owners have to sign off on and for them you know Steve Cohen's is a bad guy you know he's a guy that wants to spend money and drive the luxury tax off and and take all their good players so that's another thing where if these owners are able to understand it and accept that I think that you know de Blasio should too because I don't think there's going to be fraud in owning the Mets you know you're not going to go out there and do anything super shady if you own the Mets you know that's a team that he's willing to spend his billions on.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing. is you, you expect that he'll kind of shape up as it goes on. But again, something definitely to keep an eye on because de Blasio does legally have some say in this decision. So we'll see how much kind of pushback he, he gives on this issue.